0: this episode of the pain education corner is sponsored by the camella foundation The Camella Foundation is committed to relieving pain naturally using osteopathic healing principles. Here at the Camella Foundation, we envision a world where people achieve their maximum potential by being empowered with knowledge and skills to heal themselves and others. This information is to be used for educational purposes only and not to be construed as medical advice. If you have any questions or concerns, please consult a licensed healthcare professional. Hello, it's Bill, the Need Pain Guru, and welcome to the Pain Education Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Rose Pignataro. Welcome, Rose. Thank you, Bill. Good to be here. How are you doing today? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. Well, Rose, you uh, you help people with pain. (laughs) you <laughs> would you would you share like your story, how you kind of got into the the industry, into the biz, and <laughs> um, brought you uh, this far down uh, your journey?
1: Um,
0: well, I've been a physical therapist for a little over
1: thirty years now. Um, mm. So my uh, my interest originally began as a as a physical therapist treating people who might be experiencing chronic pain. Um, And then I became even further involved with it uh, later on when I went back to graduate school. I have a PhD in public health and within public health, some of the the bigger issues are um, substance use and or substance misuse and um, addiction issues that are heavily linked with chronic pain and more specifically with lack of access to proper care
0: for chronic pain. Mm. Wow. 30 years. That is a true. That is a true commitment to uh, helping people, especially in public health, because that is no no easy journey. I would imagine.
1: No, but it's extremely rewarding, and I honestly love it. So.
0: Okay, could you um, give us a scenario? Like, I I could in my mind, I can go through. Okay, someone's in chronic pain. And they get into the um, maybe prescription drugs, maybe other uh, illicit drugs uh, mm-hmm. it, as a way of coping and managing with pain. Could you kind of give us um, maybe a stereotypical scenario as to where how that path might go? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, a lot of the people that I work with have pain due to neuropathy. Uh, very often that's as a result of diabetes or some other type of medical condition. Mm-hmm. And um, neuropathy, pain from neuropathy, nerve pain is, is uh, extremely difficult. It's notoriously difficult to treat. Uh, And because of that, very often what happens is people get shuffled from one health professional to another. And as health professionals, we often are not humble enough to say that we don't have the answer. And so um, what happens is people get a prescription for one medication and sometimes they get a prescription for another medication. And the providers who are prescribing the medications don't necessarily speak to, to one another. Um, People who have chronic pain are often not educated in what some of the risks might be up front, and so what happens is you might go to uh, see a health provider who prescribes a narcotic medication, and you take that narcotic medication because you've been advised to take the medication by somebody who you trust, uh, who's supposed to be an expert in their field. So you begin taking the medication. The medication is not designed specifically for chronic pain, so it's ineffective. And because you're in chronic pain, you feel somewhat desperate. And so you maybe start taking more of the medication that's prescribed. Um, And then you go back to the healthcare provider and because of some of the legal issues and the prescribing restrictions, you're not able to get more of the medication that you're now addicted to. And so you're forced to go outside of the traditional pathway to obtain that medication. And that's how people fall into issues with addiction. Um, They're, you know, receiving medication from multiple providers or they're unable to get the prescribed medication anymore. And so they rely on outside sources.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. And you know, this is a huge,
1: it's a huge issue. And I think a lot of us have this bias or stereotype in, in our heads of what somebody who's addicted to medication looks like, and Uh I can tell you that those biases and stereotypes are very rarely the case. Um, This is your next door neighbor, your grandmother,
0: you you know,
1: one one of your relatives who innocently believes that they're doing something that will be beneficial and then gets caught up in the cycle.
0: Mm -hmm. I could also see, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, that A person could go down that path that you just stated, they got uh, neuropathy, chronic pain scenario, and they get a narcotic medication that isn't necessarily designed, and then they run out of the prescription. So now they're left to other means. There's another route that could potentially be, they go to multiple healthcare providers and they get multiple types of uh, pain medications for different diagnoses. Correct. That, and mm, go, go ahead.
1: I was going to say that that's that's part of the bias too. Is that you know if you speak to healthcare practitioners, often we have in our heads what um, you know a pain personality might look like, or somebody who's a drug seeker might look like, and that mm-hmm. this person is going from place to place and maybe not representing their condition truthfully. And very often that's not the case either. This person has significant pain. Um, and is really just seeking a a way of managing that. And and in that search we may go to more than one provider. So, you know, we've established that ourselves by becoming so siloed in our practice where, you know, if you're seeing somebody and I'm seeing somebody, we may not speak to each other. and That that happens in healthcare all the time where we don't have this patient-centered model where we're all part of the same team.
0: Got it. Okay, I, I'm all about a vision for solutions. I, mm-hmm. I'd much rather have that conversation. It's like to go down that and complain about a system that isn't working or to delve into that, I don't know if that would be a, a really valuable use of your time. Mm-hmm. I also want to respect your professional position where you are as a physical therapist, that I don't want to cross a line in this inter- in the context of this interview here mm-hmm. that would jeopardize anything for you. So I'm going to I'm going to dance between those two positions and please tell me whenever uh, I would cross either line. No problem with that. But I would love to hear your ideas, your vision, your hope as to how this can begin to change, not only from a practitioner perspective, but also from a patient perspective. Because I don't believe, I don't believe firmly that it is all on the practitioner. It's like, right. it, it, there, there has to be an education component right. on, the, uh, on the patient or the client perspective that they're coming to the table with a level of responsibility going, hey, Rose. <laughs> this is what I got going on. And I've already explored this. How can you help me? Like, so let's, let's dialogue about that. I think that would be great.
1: Yeah. That's actually the part of my practice that excites me the most. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, chronic pain is such an individualized experience. uh, And Mm -hmm. so everybody's a little bit different. Even people that have the same exact medical diagnosis have a different experience of their pain. Uh, and so putting the patient at the center of any type of intervention or plan that we might come up with uh, really is the key to success. And so, you know, more of a collaborative approach like you're describing is really my hope in, in um, you know, working with people with chronic pain. And also, as I work with my colleagues in some of the continuing education courses that I, I teach and uh, here at Emory & Henry College, working with the physical therapy students to try to change our perspective on on holistic and integrative holistic approach to pain that puts the patient in the driver's seat,
0: so. Now, the tricky part, I, I work with clients with pain as well. The tricky part is when you have someone that is in chronic pain, it changes how they think. Sure. I like it skews reality to such an extent that it's like, I don't know what I need. Just take care of it for me. So there's a little bit of of chicken or egg, like what came first. Right. That leads them into this uh, disempowered, helpless, hopeless place to begin Mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. How do you see, we could begin to chip away at that, that dynamic.
1: This, that's definitely a challenge. And if you look traditionally at, at the healthcare industry, um, we're trained as patients to take a passive role. And as providers, uh. we're trained that we're the expert, you're the patient. So there's this artificial hierarchy there where you know I will tell you what to do and then you'll do it. Um, and then when people don't do it, we, we blame the patient, the patient's non-adherent. Uh, mm. What really needs to happen is that We empower our patients. Pain is very disempowering. You know, you're losing control over your own life. It creates all kinds of role disturbances. Maybe I can't do my normal work. I can't engage in the leisure activities I usually enjoy. It changes my social relationships with my friends, with my family. And and so all of those things have to be part of the perspective of not only the healthcare provider, but the patient too. And so you need to establish first a collaborative dialogue where the person who's experiencing the chronic pain can tell you about their specific individualized experience. What's happening for them, you know, what's the quality and the location of the pain, but beyond that, how has the pain affected all of these other areas of their life? And if they had one primary goal in seeking a consultation with me, what would that be so that that can kind of prioritize what I might suggest from my background as, as a good approach for, for us to start to investigate?
0: Like share that vision with the, the patient or the client as to Absolutely. What, what, what would done look like? What would being living their life look like and then kind of work back from there?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not always, you know, it's hard. It's hard for us because we want to solve everybody's problems, right? That's Mm -hmm. why I became a physical therapist. I want to help people. And it's hard sometimes when people have chronic pain and you know that there's not a whole lot we can do traditionally to completely eliminate that pain. Mm-hmm. But it is possible to live a very fulfilling and high quality of life with chronic pain. I mean, we know that people do that. And so, you know, let yes, let's address and mitigate the pain as much as possible. But let's also talk about how the pain has affected these other aspects of your life and what types of strategies you can use to take back that control.
0: And what is your what is your abilities? and limitations as a physical therapist to be able to point people in a direction of maybe someone else that you might know um, to be able to help them? How, how does that, I'm sure that factors in some way. Absolutely,
1: I mean, physical therapists have to, we, we have to be cognizant of our scope of practice, right? And so I never wanna go beyond my training or my expertise. Um, Even if it's permitted legally, there's things that I'm really good at and things that I'm not so good at. And so Mm -hmm. being self-aware of the things that that are within your wheelhouse, so to speak, and things that other people are better at helps you create that integrative approach. So it may be that somebody that I'm working with um, needs to or could benefit from um, speaking with a psychologist or working with an occupational therapist. And so really creating that team approach is, is essential.
0: Got it, and I agree. What, what is your ability as an as a physical therapist, or like legally, let's say, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to say, hey, go see a reiki practitioner or a um, energy worker or mess-. like there's there's got to be limitations, like legally, what you can refer to and what you are not able to refer to. And I'm trying to understand where, where is that for you?
1: There are definitely certain limitations. Uh, First of all, like state to state can vary based on the state practice act. And so um, here in Virginia, we have what's called direct access and most states have some form of direct access where you can self-refer to the physical therapist. But then Part of my obligation is making sure that I conduct a thorough history, do a thorough assessment so that I can identify whether or not this patient needs to see a certain uh, physician or a a certain specialist for further workup. Also, again, going back to that collaborative dialogue, finding out what's important to the patient. So there are certain restrictions like I can't prescribe medication. Uh, as a physical therapist, uh, we have to be very careful about whether or not we're prescribing supplementations, or, you know, like some kind of supplement vitamins and, and things like that, mostly because it can interact with people's prescription medications, and so that's that's usually better handled by another, another provider, although there are physical therapists that, that have advanced um, training in things like functional nutrition who can offer those services as well. Um, you know, I, I also don't want to like, I I love my patients, but we don't need to have a lifetime relationship. And so right from the first visit, we should be thinking about down the line, how does this person take care of themselves? And very often that involves seeing maybe a personal trainer um, when when you get into your independent exercise program. Um, After I've done manual therapy, everybody can benefit from massage and body work. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, can that person now get themselves on a regular schedule of body work that doesn't necessarily require the skill set of a physical therapist, but they would do very well with the massage therapist, say.
0: Mm -hmm. So. Got it. Is it... um... I know for me, uh, I'm working with clients on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do primarily education and training, so mm-hmm. I teach people how to get themselves out of pain, and mm-hmm. I can't, I can't diagnose, prescribe, suggest, recommend, like none of that. I and I and I recognize that that's my limitation, but I can say, hey, Rose, if I had Condor Malaysia, and I was dealing with what you were dealing with, this is what I would do. And then this way that uh, gives that, give my client the choice of mm-hmm. how that, they can consider that, it can consider yeah. that as an option that they might choose. Is that something that you're able to incorporate or is that strictly in the, the note, um, the assessment and the um, history that you're taking? With your clients? How, do, how does well, that work?
1: Um, for me now, most of my practice also revolves around education and not so much the traditional physical therapy interventions like soft tissue mobilization, joint mobilization, et cetera. And so um, part of the, the structure of my sessions is that I am very heavily invested in something called motivational interviewing. It's really just a, a, a style like of patient, patient-centered like communication. And so in the course of conversation, I'm going to be asking people that I'm working with, hey, what's important to you? Also, what do you know about the treatment of chronic pain? Because it could be that this patient or client has tried some of these things before or has read something you know, about Reiki or energy work or acupuncture mm-hmm. that tells me that they're interested in per- perhaps pursuing that. And so then we can kind of talk about that together it's coming from the patient. It's not my specific recommendation, but I can certainly read what they're reading and answer questions and to try to clarify things. And, and you know, um, interesting.
0: go, I, go at I, it from that angle. Yeah, I really like that. I like the whole term motivational interviewing. I think that's fantastic. And I think that uh, it can be done, in, uh, I'm sure, in a, in a way that actually further empowers what the um, client slash patient has already done as far as their work, which is going to open up a a bunch of opportunities that they wouldn't even think possible because they're, they may be still in that, um, how you were saying uh, the we're trained to be passive as patient. And and now you're like empowering them with that. Oh, you did do research on energy work. Mm-hmm. and go down that that uh, line of questioning to discover what they may have already uh, done work on.
1: Right. Um, and the neat thing about motivational interviewing is that it's really applicable across diagnoses, different patient circumstances, and it actually comes out of addiction medicine. Um, it was developed by two psychologists who work with people with addiction issues, um, Miller and Rolnick. Uh, and so... Um, really, any, any practitioner, and even in your personal life, you can use motivational interviewing. It's about active listening and, and really uh, reflecting back to people what they're saying during the conversation that might be important to them um, so that, that it is more empowering and it allows people to discover what their own inherent traits are and characteristics and strengths and assets that were, are going to help them um, address the chronic pain in a way that's meaningful to them.
0: And Miller and Roll Rollnick Rollnick yes R <laughs>
1: R O L L N I C K
0: Great we'll, William
1: uh, William Miller and Stephen Rollnick
0: Okay, we will include um, information in the show notes down below if anybody would like to do further uh, research on that Yeah page. they
1: they've written a fantastic book about
0: motivational engineering. Right? So. Excellent Awesome Okay. How'd you get into all this? Like what motivated you? Um,
1: well, I guess, you know, a career as a physical therapist, first of all, and, and working with people who have chronic pain and then, you know, don't have a whole lot of um, options. So trying to find better options for people also honestly, getting a little bit frustrated, you know, when you make recommendations and people don't follow them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I used to come from the mindset of, well, if you're not going to do what I say, you know, then you're not going to get better. And now I think like, if the person's not doing what I say, well, maybe what I say doesn't fit what their goals are, what their expectations are for our relationship. And so now Mm -hmm. coming back to that really allows me to have better outcomes. Number one, and form a stronger relationship with clients, better in therapeutic alliance, which it really helps and enhance the outcomes there. And so there's less frustration for me, and there's a better outcome. Um, I also have neuropathy, which <laughs> makes oh, it kind there of we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So there's a. I mean, that happened later in my career, but um, you know, I uh, have an autoimmune condition that has created uh, neuropathic pain and. Uh, you know, allowed me to connect with a lot of other people who have the same condition or same kind of presentation and draw on their expertise. And so that recognition that people who are experiencing chronic pain actually are the experts and uh, you know we hold them up, but, but um, we help support them in, in their quest for better living, but they're the ones that are actually immersed in the experience and
0: can tell us what works best. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to go back a little further, if that's all right. Because me, I remember, uh, you know, football. I was 11 years old, and I twisted my ankle, and it was just like, oh, like my childhood ended at that point. Because <laughs> now I had a sprained ankle, and they put it in a cast, and I missed the entire football season. And there was just this feeling of being disempowered in the whole process, and that, you know, a series of injuries which led to my knee injury, which is how I got into all of this. I'm curious as to going back over 30 years ago, what was the thing that inspired you? It's like, oh, physical therapy. That is a thing that I want to do. I'm curious if there was some experience when you were younger or it's just an interest you had or something along those lines that motivated you to go in that direction. I think it's kind of similar to to uh, the story that you just told. Um,
1: when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I guess I my, probably my sophomore year, I was about fourteen years old. I got the acute version of the disease that I have now, <laughs> um, and so when I was fourteen, oh. I got something called Guillain-Barré syndrome, um, or sure. GBS for short. And uh, GBS is where your immune system no longer recognizes that your peripheral nervous system is part of you. (laughs) Uh, So your immune cells start to attack all of the nerves in your arms and legs and you get pain, you get weakness, loss of sensation. And so I had an extensive course of physical therapy, which really helped restore my uh, activity level. And, uh, you know, by the time I, I entered college, I thought, wow, what a
0: neat profession. I want to be able to do this myself. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, awesome in the sense of it was motivating and inspiring for you. Mm-hmm. And you use that. It, uh, what I really like about it is instead of it disempowering you, you flipped it around. And I think that that is a characteristic that is so valuable for those suffering and pain is that we can use these challenges, these mm-hmm. tragedies, these life uh, pitfalls and use them as a way of propelling us forward, uh, to do something better in our life. So I commend you. That's awesome. (laughs) And you've been in it for 30 some years that that even,
1: well, I love it. You know, I tell our students all the time, physical therapy school is incredibly hard. Um, but it's also really worth it in the end.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the pain education corner. If you have a special talent or skill to relieve pain and you'd like to become a guest on our show, visit us at thecamellafoundationorg forward slash interview. Help us spread the word on eliminating pain and suffering in the world. That's thecamellafoundationorg forward slash interview. Now, is there... A- There's continuing education in physical therapy. It's like you just Mm -hmm. don't go to school and then it's like you're done and you do physical therapy for 30 years. You you have done continuing education. Is there areas in physical therapy or specific types of continuing education that you've had a special interest in over Mm -hmm. uh, as of recently or over that period of time?
1: Um, Yeah, so my board certification is in wound prevention and management. And so um, that's kind of how I got into uh, working with people who have diabetic neuropathy because the diabetic neuropathy and the diabetes can cause really severe issues with circulation and um, tissue repair and tissue healing. Um, But with that, as I started to get more involved in working with people with diabetes, the recognition of our lifestyle choices and the impact things like stress, nutrition, um, you know, weight management, our dietary choices, all of those things, uh, things that are really within our own personal control, if we're aware of them, uh, have, have a huge value in terms of prevention, but also in, in terms of making things better. So, trying to come at things from more of a holistic perspective rather than a traditional uh, medical point of view and, and uh, working with people on things that they can change. So that, um, you know, if they do get sick, it's not as severe um, and also trying to keep them from getting sick in the to begin with. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, health promotion and wellness has been a huge focus for me. Mm-hmm. So. I like it.
0: And let's talk about it from a practitioner standpoint or a professional standpoint, medical like we have this existing medical model where we're all professionals we're not necessarily talking to each other, Uh, how can or if you were speaking to uh, those who would be open to hearing, how would you how would you articulate to them their their perspective tweaked a little bit to help their their patients, their clients more?
1: Um, I, I think we're coming around to it, but it's okay. slow, it's <laughs> so slow. there's, yeah, um, so there's a lot of opportunity and a change in perspective from an illness model of healthcare care to uh, a prevention model of, of health care, and so, you know, in addition to putting the patient at the center of things, really working with one another and, and respecting the, the value of other services, so educating one another, what does a physical therapist do? What does an occupational therapist do? What does a registered dietitian do? What's the scope of practice for an addiction specialist? So that we can really work together um, a little bit better. And and also getting the community involved. So uh, a lot of what I do here at, at Emory & Henry is work with the students on community and civic engagement because that helps educate the public about what we do as physical therapists. And it also educates us on what some of the priorities are within um, the community, within society, so that we can be better prepared to, we can anticipate the need and we can start thinking about the best way to address those.
0: It, so in, in speaking to those other healthcare professionals, what do you think, think is their highest leverage. I, I always look at it like uh, the Pareto principle or Occam's razor, like the minimum effective dose to make the biggest change. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see, they could begin to move from that illness model to that prevention model where um, I mean, is it studying other people's scope of practice? Is it networking more with people at like, how do you see, what is the biggest lacking component you see that can make the biggest difference for healthcare professionals?
1: We need to stop being so territorial.
0: Territorial.
1: (laughs) Yeah. you know, I mean, if there's a personal trainer who has an exercise that's going to benefit the person that I'm working with who has chronic pain, then have at it. You know, don't, I, I shouldn't be saying as a physical therapist, like that my skills are superior as a PT to this personal trainer. Um, same, same thing with there's this big traditional um, back and forth thing with between PTs and chiros. And so, okay. you know, just drop, dropping the, the uh, kind of letting our guard down so that we can speak to and, and learn from one another and, and you know, not, not have these artificial boundaries between each profession does definitely have its unique skill set and its unique value. But there's a ton of overlap and when we acknowledge that overlap and put it together in a way that strengthens the value of our services from the perspective of the patient everybody wins Mm
0: -hmm. so you know yeah i i may i share my own Mm -hmm. personal experience with that uh so there there's a guy I've, i've been doing this 23 years since i blew out my knee had the surgery acl reconstruction Four knee dislocations to get to that point. I mean, it was just, it was kind of a a nightmare for me. And I had no intention of like going into knee pain as an as a business or or an industry kind of thing. And I started studying on the other side of the surgery and the physical therapy. And they were saying, well, this is this is all we could do. And I love martial arts. I wanted to get back into martial arts and I began my own path my own healing path, which involved, uh, osteopathically based style of body work and uh, nutrition and a martial art component to it. Uh, and so I'm, I'm into this a good two decades. And then I, I see, um, uh, just came across it called the knees over toes guy, Ben Patrick. Have you heard of him? No. No, awesome. it sounds like, very
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So this guy is uh, along the lines of physical therapy, uh, coaching, personal training. That is how I understand it. I haven't done a lot of research, but I, he Joe Rogan did a podcast with him okay. and he went into the details of how he approaches strengthening the legs to get over pain and to increase performance in the body and it's absolutely brilliant he's I I was listening to him and I was like oh I got that part in martial arts and that's where the martial arts stopped and he picked it up and ran with it and then there was this other component that he was bringing in and it's pieces that I had just touched on and he Mm -hmm. ran with the other other side of it and I was like oh that was absolutely brilliant in terms of how he put it all together and has done this uh, where he's working, strengthening the, the, in the intrinsic muscles, like the, I believe it's the tibialis, which is the uh, muscle in the front by the shin, Mm -hmm. the hip flexor, and then the full body of the hamstring. And I was absolutely blown away. By what he had to offer, which is completely different than how I approach it. So I had this little bit of like, eh, who's this? You know, that kind of thing. And when I really had an opportunity to slow down and listen to what he had to say, it was absolutely brilliant in what he had to bring to the table and offer. So um, I would say that I let down my guard. And it, it really opened up a whole new realm of possibilities for myself as well as a, as a person. So it, it, you know, it's
1: challenging to do that because I've worked hard to be a physical therapist and my colleagues mm-hmm. have worked hard and, you know, like any medical specialty, there's a lot of education and, and studying that goes into it. And so some of it's a little bit of ego, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I am good at what I do, but the recognition that I'm good at what I do doesn't mean that other people are not good at what they do. And you you have to be open to that expanded perspective. Um, Like in my own pain journey, some of the things that have really helped me are adapted yoga, mindfulness practice, Mm -hmm. um, dietary changes, things that perhaps were not part of my original education as a physical therapist, but certainly have value the more that I learn about them. And some Mm -hmm. of what I've learned comes from clients that I've worked with when I say, you know, what have you tried and what's working well for you? And then let's talk about what's not working well. Well, when somebody tells me that they're getting significant pain relief from their mindfulness practice, now you have my attention.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I, I'm of the belief in the mentality that the rising tide raises all ships. So if we hold that bar higher, not only for ourselves, in terms of how we're showing up that we don't have that scarcity mentality in terms right. of like oh well you're my client and if i let you go you will never come back and no one else will ever find me when right. when we come from that place of just it's like i'm really good at what i do and rose is really good at what she does and uh, ben patrick is good at, at absolutely what he does then people are going to naturally gravitate to who they need the support from just because, well, they feel free to go right. to who they need to.
1: Right. And that, that, that is part of that whole empowerment as well. You know, if mm-hmm. I have a relationship with a patient and it's not working for them, please, by all means, feel free to choose what's working well for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this I think is going to change, uh, the, the uh, the patient, um, Uh, training the patients to be passive Mm -hmm. that's going to be a game changer for patients slash clients in terms of how they feel that it's like oh well this isn't the only guy out here right or the only person out here i can i feel free to go and explore other options because there may be more than one person that's going to be able to help me
1: right and that's really part of it making making patients or clients inform consumers so that they can make the best choice
0: Hmm. I like it. I like it, Rose. This is great. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, let's see. You you work you work with clients, obviously in person. Um, no, actually,
1: I, I don't. Um, partially. Okay. So all of my practice right now is through telemedicine. Yes. <laughs> and, all right. And uh, the reason for that is, you know, obviously with the COVID pandemic, and uh, you know clients who might seek my services are often Mm -hmm. immunocompromised I'm immunocompromised and just so for everybody's safety Um, and because a lot of what I do revolves around more so a conversation that I'm having sort of like you and I are having right now this this becomes a good platform Uh, and the other thing it does is that I'm not I'm not restricted by geographical location to the extent that I'm licensed here in Virginia but I'm also licensed in New York so
0: Got it. So, uh, I just want to make sure I'm understanding everything correctly. You would only be able to work with, uh, clients or patients in Virginia and New York or that it is correct.
1: Correct. Yeah. Right now, the way that the law is structured, um, the physical therapist needs to be
0: licensed in the same
1: state as the client.
0: Okay. Uh, so for those that are listening, Mm-hmm. they would like help and support from rose <laughs> you need to live in virginia in new york at this time at the time mm-hmm. of this recording which is where are we february of 2022 so that's subject to change <laughs> um, now for those that are in virginia in new york would they need a doctor's uh like a, a prescription or a referral from a doctor in order to work with you or um, it depends that? on the
1: the complexity of their condition, so both New York and Virginia have direct access to physical therapy services. Okay. But some, some of that should be at the discretion of the physical therapist. So if somebody comes to me and they have a relatively complex medical condition, I will want to be able to communicate with a referring provider so that I have information about certain diagnostic tests, laboratory results, those kinds of things. But if it's somebody, maybe like a lot of times, um, my dissertation was on tobacco cessation, okay. so a lot of times I'm working with somebody who, you know, their primary goal is to make a lifestyle change, so they want to speak with me about quitting smoking or quitting uh, chewing tobacco, or um, you know, they they need to uh, maybe get some better idea of, of resol- resolving their stress, um, things like that. So we can have a conversation about that without me making very large plans of care that require input from another healthcare provider. But in in general, like people that do have diabetic peripheral neuropathy, most of the time, I'd like to have some contact with the person that's managing their care, just so that that person is is aware that I'm seeing the patient as well. And also so that we can talk about things like glycemic management, what their labs are like, um, if the lab changes, the lab results change at all with changes in lifestyle, like diet or exercise.
0: Now, uh, and this, the, the, I just wanna understand, cause uh, are you able to speak with people outside of Virginia in New York uh, in a different capacity or is that, um, like, help me understand? yeah
1: as a physical therapist once you have a professional license like I also have a certification as you'll see like CHES after my name that's a certified Uh health education specialist Mm -hmm. so if I only had the CHES I could speak to you okay (laughs) but because I have the physical therapy degree and the physical therapy license that takes precedence and so I have to adhere to the legal guidelines in the state
0: where I practice and where I'm licensed Understood. And I really appreciate you breaking this down for me because I, I work with clients, Australia, New Zealand, all Mm -hmm. over the place. And we've been anyhow, I just want to understand. So awesome. Uh, So What we'll do is we'll make that distinction below for anybody that is interested in speaking with you. Mm -hmm. We'd like to put a a button down below that they click on and it brings up an email where they can shoot you an email directly to speak with you or to set up a time to speak with you. And that Mm -hmm. would only be at this time, uh, February of 2022 for uh, anyone in the state of New York and the state, of, or the Commonwealth Commonwealth of Virginia.
1: Right, right. Um, but the neat thing about being a physical therapist is that we have a huge network. <laughs> and so there's a health promotion and wellness special interest group. Um, the American Physical Therapy Association as our professional organization actually has a website called Find a PT. And so if there are people in other locations who are looking for a physical therapist uh, who does a similar approach the, that I do I can help direct them
0: so I'm got it so this, this would you and I just want to respect your your time all that cuz we can get bombarded on the internet uh-huh. um uh-huh. would you like to put the find a pt link on yes. the, uh, below and no, that or, would be great okay find a pt and um we'll make sure that's in the description box below uh, so so you aren't doing typing in find a PT for people around the country. Awesome. Uh, Rose, this has been fun. It this really has. has. This stuff. has been
1: wonderful.
0: I've it's been enjoying with you. Yeah. Just, just kind of picking your brain to see, uh, you know, how the, the PT world operates and functions. And this has been absolutely fascinating and you have definitely uh, changed or opened my perspective in a lot of ways in terms of how um, how physical therapists operate. Uh, so that that is very um, exciting for me. I, I like that. That's awesome. Uh, is there anything else, any of the topics that we talked about today, touched on today, that you would like to put a bow on or something that I hadn't quite uh, asked you would have liked me to ask more about?
1: Um, I, I don't know if in the, in the audience there are other healthcare practitioners who are looking for training in that integrative approach to chronic pain, uh, but I work with a, uh, another physical therapist. His name is Dr. Joe Tata, and he has an organization called the Integrative Pain Science Institute. Um, and I teach for Joe through um, the Integrative Pain Science Institute. I teach the class on motivational interviewing. But there are a ton of really awesome classes uh, through IPSI, like a functional nutrition course. Um, there's a mindfulness, trauma-informed care. Uh, there, there's a lot of really excellent courses, and of course, I, I think my class is great. But <laughs> but there are other <laughs> there are other classes that are also really great, uh, sure. and so. You know if somebody's a rehab professional or a health coach and they're interested in learning more about that in- integrative approach um that would be a good place
0: to look awesome and this uh, uh joe tata's name has come up a couple of times so i think i'm gonna if you could connect me with him that would be wonderful I- i'd for... be
1: happy to make the introduction he's, awesome. he's a really he, he's definitely uh, an innovative thinker
0: so. nice Well, that that's fantastic. I think the more we have of education and training and raising the bar and dropping the ego and raising the bar at the same time to help people, I think it's really going to make a big difference across the board. I would agree. So uh, we will absolutely put that link to the Integrative Pain Science Institute is that mm-hmm. institute mm-hmm. uh down below as well to promote that because it's all about how we could help more people and excellent and it's fantastic um rose thank you thank you once again this has been fantastic uh, all of that information will be down below on how to contact rose and information on integrative pain science institute and the other information that we had um during the call today, I took some notes. Uh, But thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, your expertise, your sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us today.
1: Thank you, Bill. It's really been a great experience. Cool. Appreciate it.
0: Excellent. Well, uh, I'm going to wrap this up for now. Uh, This is Bill Paravano, the knee pain guru on behalf of the Camella Foundation and the Pain Education Podcast. Appreciating you very much for being here. Have a wonderful day and we will see you on the next one. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for tuning into this week's segment of the Pain Education Corner. Join us next week for another conversation on natural healing methods to eliminate pain. To learn more about the work we do at the Camella Foundation, please visit our website at the Camella, C-O-M-E-L-L-A, foundation.org.